1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDIC.
0: If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, But I'm also busy performing brain surgery. Well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving. To your local store. Like now. Go.
1: In today's society that's really driven by science and technology people should be much more sceptical about these types of phenomena. Yet, when you're actually using powerful magic, it doesn't really take that much for people to genuinely believe that it's possible to contact the dead.
2: You're listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Science Focus magazine team. With the UK's best-selling science and technology monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store. Abracadabra, prestidigitation. We know that these words hold no intrinsic power, but when we hear them, we're instantly transported to a land of magic and wonder, where the impossible becomes reality right before our eyes. So why, as rational human beings, are we so drawn to magic, what makes us delight in seeing a rabbit pulled from a hat, despite knowing full well that we're just being fooled into believing it was conjured out of thin air? Those are the sort of questions magician and cognitive psychology expert Gustav Kuhn is currently trying to solve as his magic lab at Goldsmiths University. In this week's Science Focus podcast, he talks to ScienceFocus.com editor Alexander McNamara about why we believe in magic what actually happens in our brains when we watch tricks being performed, and how understanding magic can help us make sense of a world filled with fake news and misinformation.
0: Just wondering if you were to kick things off by telling us what exactly is magic.
1: Well, magic is a really strange and unique emotional experience where you simultaneously experience something as being real and unreal at the same time. So I've performed magic for many years now. And one of my favorite tricks is a levitating paper ball, where I take a little paper ball, I scrunch it up, I put it in between my hands, and then the paper ball magically starts to levitate in thin air. Now, as you're watching this, you are experiencing a very interesting cognitive conflict, because on the one hand, you know that things can't levitate in midair. That's just simply impossible. At the same time, that's exactly what you're experiencing. And so this creates a cognitive conflict in our minds between the things that we are experiencing and the things that we believe to be possible. But I think these experiences aren't necessarily unique to magic because if you really think about it, it doesn't really make sense. Like, Why would we experience something as being real when we know it's not? Well, it turns out that, with a, like with a lot of these magical principles, they also apply to our everyday life. So imagine a situation where you're walking out on a glass platform really high above the sky. So I've recently done this at The Shard, where you walk out on a glass platform and you know that you're completely safe because otherwise I wouldn't go there. I know the glass will hold. I've got a lot of trust in the engineers that have put this structure together yet it still feels uncomfortable you look down and it just doesn't feel right you feel i just want to get i want to get off this structure and that i think is a very similar cognitive conflict that we experience in magic as well because as you're walking out on the platform you know it's safe so rationally you know it's safe yet it doesn't feel safe and i think magic elicits a very similar experience where you're experiencing something as a real the paper ball is levitating but rationally you know that's impossible and I think that's really at the crux of magic.
0: And so all of these things that we do so whenever we see like the levitating ball or say for instance a card trick or, or anything like that or you know someone being chopped in half it's all having the same effect on our brains when, we're, when it's happening?
1: Well we don't know yet we've published a paper about 10 years ago where we actually measured people's brain activation using an fMRI scanner. Um, So fMRI allows us to identify and localize areas in the brain that are particularly activated whilst you're doing a particular task. And we used a whole range of magic tricks. These weren't great magic tricks. These were all magic tricks that we recorded in my bedroom and me making maybe a ball disappear or something levitate or a car to change. So a whole range of different tricks that have one thing in common in that you're experiencing something that is impossible. Now, the results were really intriguing because what we found was that there was very specific activation in the area known as the interior uh, ACC and the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex. Now, these are areas that are also activated when we experience experiencing other kind of conflict. So, conflict happens often to us. So, for example, there's lots of attentional processes that happen automatically or imagine a situation where you're walking home but you need to go and buy a pint of milk on your way home now the automatic part of your brain just goes into automatic pilot and you'll just walk home the normal route but that normal processing is in conflict with your task of having to buy a bottle of milk and so that creates a cognitive conflict and it turns out that actually those general cognitive conflicts they activate very similar parts of the brain as do magic tricks. And so this gives us really strong scientific evidence that the crux of magic is really about experiencing cognitive conflict.
0: So there's the the difference between what I expect to see in reality and, and what is actually happening.
1: Yes, exactly. So in a card trick, well, you know, I can't read your mind yet. That's exactly what you've experienced. Or in the example of the levitating paper ball, you know balls can't levitate, yet that's exactly what you've experienced. So that creates this conflict.
0: You know, you say that you can't actually read my mind. Why does that feel? Why does the the joy of a magic trick then be that you are reading my mind and that's how you can tell I've got the six of hearts
1: uh, in my hand? Well, I think we still don't really understand why we enjoy these kinds of conflicts but i guess it's maybe it's the same reason why people enjoy going watching a horror movie or they enjoy walking out on these platforms i mean i paid quite a lot of money to go up on the shard to walk out to actually get that experience and i think if you're experiencing this in a safe environment those conflicts can actually be experiences a very aesthetically pleasing and enjoyable experiences. And on that,
0: it's enjoyable to, to sort of believe that it's happening, even though that we know we're being tricked or we're being fooled and somehow something is going wrong. Why do we still, you know, fundamentally can't not believe what is happening is really happening? Why is that in our brains working that way?
1: So, magicians create their illusions not because they've got supernatural powers, or at least the ones I do, don't. (laughs) Um, Instead, what they're doing is they're really hacking your brains. Now, years of experience has taught magicians how to exploit loopholes in our cognitive processing. Um, So, for example, they have learned how to use misdirection to manipulate what you are tending to or they can use memory strategies to manipulate what you're remembering. They've even got strategies that can actually manipulate the extent to which you feel you've got control over your own actions and manipulate the sense of free will that you have. And so magicians create these illusions by exploiting these loopholes. So if you think about misdirection, if I can control the amount that you consciously perceive, well, once I've got control over this system, it's not that hard to actually make objects appear as if they've, if, as if they've disappeared. Um, because once I've got control of that system, I can basically manipulate your entire conscious experience. Now, as human beings, we trust our own experiences. We trust the things we see. We trust the things we remember, and we trust the reasons as to why we've done certain things. But as we're learning more about the human brain, we're realizing that a lot of these insights, they're wrong because in actual fact, most of our experience is really just an illusion. It's a very compelling illusion and it's an illusion that magicians can manipulate. And so the techniques that magicians use to manipulate your conscious experience are very similar to kind of to the kind of tricks that the human brain plays on you in your day-to-day life. And because we trust our own experiences, when you're seeing something with your own eyes, you believe that that's true. And it takes quite a lot for you to actually doubt that own that that experience. I mean, in my book, experiencing the impossible. A look at the whole range of these erroneous assumptions that we really make about our own psychological capabilities.
0: So, for instance, the, uh, you're talking about misdirection there. How are we being misdirected? What, what are the things that magicians do that fool our brains into thinking that something else is happening somewhere?
1: So misdirection is a very complex process, and misdirection is at the heart of magic. I believe that every single magic trick really relies on misdirection. Now, typically, people think of misdirection about simply being about distracting your attention. And as I mentioned before, if I can take control over what you're attending to, I can actually control what you perceive, so, for example, I can use lots of different cues. Um, magicians will often use their gaze. So, if I'm looking at something, most people will look at that same location. So, if I want to, if I want to draw people's attention away from my left hand, I simply look at my right hand. Um, I can add other cues as well. So, I can snap my fingers. I can move my hand. I can use lots of these different cues to misdirect your attention from my left hand to my right hand. And if everybody's attention to my right hand, nobody will be processing any of their information from my left hand, and they'll simply be blind of whatever is occurring on the left side of my body. And so that would be an example in which attentional misdirection can be used to manipulate what you see, and more importantly, probably what you miss. But misdirection is not just about perception, we can manipulate how you actually remember something. So we trust our memories, but just because you're actually remembering something doesn't mean that that's what you've actually experienced. And the reason for this is that memory is a reconstructive process. And what you're really remembering is not necessarily what you've experienced, but what you've believed to have experienced. So again, as a magician, I can hack into your memory system and just tweak certain parameters within that system. And that will actually allow me to create false memories so that you completely falsely remember something. I mean, let let me give you an example. Let's think of a card trick. Um, So imagine a card trick in which I shuffle the deck of cards I asked you to pick a playing card, and then I'll tell you what the card is. There's lots of aspects of that trick that are really important for it to work. The, the main one is, for example, that it's me who's shuffling the cards rather than you shuffling the cards, because I can use sleight of hand to manipulate these cards. However... By using memory misdirection, I can actually get you to remember a different course of events. So I can actually get you to remember that you shuffled the cards rather than me shuffling the cards. And by doing so, it'll make it very difficult for you to ever work out how the trick is done. And there's a lot of other Similar kind of techniques that misdirection uses to manipulate your experience and memory of the past. It
0: seems like they're they're quite. They, there are so many sort of little simple things. Obviously, not simple because there's you know you master the art of um, of being a magician. But then it is there's these lots of little tricks that that add up and build up to create the whole magical effect.
1: Yeah, I mean as a scientist, I try to reduce everything. I try to I use a very reductionist approach, and we often study a lot of these principles in isolation because we're interested in, in a lot of our work we're not necessarily interested in improving magic we use magic as a way of learning more about how the mind works but of course in a whole magic performance a skilled magician will put lots of these different techniques together and if they're all combined that can create really astonishing effects indeed i mean that's exactly what's used to get you to experience things that you yourself know that is completely impossible
0: so your studies have used magic to help us um, understand the brain a bit better. What sort of surprising things have you found uh, that magic has taught you that you, you didn't really expect before?
1: Um, we run a, in the magic lab at Goldsmiths. We have got a whole group of scientists who are looking at different aspects of magic. A lot of my early work has looked at misdirection. I'm particularly interested in how magicians can get you to miss things that are really right in front of your eyes. And to do so, we use eye-tracking technologies. Um, these are devices that allow us to precisely measure where someone is looking whilst we misdirecting their attention. And the really surprising findings from there have been that just how little people are actually aware of from the, in their environment again intuitively you think that you notice most of the things that are going on around you yet in actual fact we can use misdirection to get you to miss things that are really right in front of your eyes and I literally mean in front of your eyes because by measuring your eye movements we've learned that you can be looking at something yet you still simply don't see it and of course this has got important implications for things like driving where driving whilst talking to someone on a mobile phone is it really is very dangerous and it's dangerous not because you're not looking at the cars in front of you but it's because your attention is being misdirected and indeed this is really what tells us this is what tells us that actually driving with a hands free set is just as dangerous as driving with a handheld set because your attention is being misdirected a lot of the other work now is looking at forcing so Forcing is a principle by which magicians can influence your decisions. So, for example, in a card trick, um, I might ask you to pick a card, and whilst you feel you've just made a random selection, I force that card upon you. So that's a principle of forcing, and magicians manipulate your decision-making like this. And again, the results have been really, very, really astonishing, and they highlight just how the sense of free will that we have in most situations, we feel it's us who control of our actions, and yet what this research is really showing is that this sense of control that we feel over our actions may indeed just be an illusion, because it's very easy to manipulate your decisions without you actually noticing this. And so this really raises the bigger question of whether the sense of free will that we have for everything may in fact just be an illusion. There's lots of other work as well that we look on beliefs as well. So you were asking before about why do we experience these magic tricks as being real? Well, some people do genuinely believe that magic is real. Um, Mentalism is a form of magic that involves mind reading, Um, so in these situations I might use trickery to reveal intricate details about your past life or contact the dead. Over the last five years or so we've been staging these spiritualist demonstrations. Um, where we get a magician to contact a person's dead and we use magic tricks to read their aura or get information about their, about, about their lives. And what's really astonishing is that a large proportion of our students actually believe that what they are seeing is genuinely real. And again, we think that in today's society that's really driven by science and technology People should be much more sceptical about these types of phenomena. Yet, when you're actually using powerful magic, it doesn't really take that much for people to genuinely believe that it's possible to contact the dead. And for me, these these findings have been really rather unsettling because even when we makes you tell people beforehand that they're watching a magic trick rather than a real psychic perform, they still genuinely believe it's real. And I think this has got greater implications in terms of how fake news and misinformation can actually influence people's beliefs because what it really illustrates is that we really struggle to distinguish between reality and fantasy and magic is a prime example really because magic is all about misinformation and what a lot of this research is really illustrating that misinformation has a very profound impact on what people believe to be possible and it allows us to really blur this distinction between the impossible and the possible.
0: So that's really interesting. It's it's interesting the way how, even you say you've got your, your students that you're working with and they just, even though you tell them this is a magic trick, they still believe it's happening.
1: Yeah, it's astonishing. I mean, at first when we started this, I thought this is never going to work. Um, surely they know that I'm a magician and they'll be much more sceptical, but they genuinely believe that it's real.
0: On that that point of scepticism, do you think that this research showing that we need to be more sceptical about the things that we see, even the things that we believe You know, hard facts as they were, um, that there is uh, there's magic and illusion going on there, perhaps.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's an important implication that a lot of this research has. So, if we think about memory, for example, I mean, people like Elizabeth Loftus have done some amazing work. Illustrating just how susceptible our memory is to illusions, and of course, this has got very important implications for eyewitness testimony in court. Like in court, we still rely on people's testimony, and just because someone is convinced that that's what they've remembered, well, we assume that that's true. Yet, a lot of the research and false memories illustrating that a lot of these memories are very fallible and they manipulate and they can be easily manipulated. Now, in my book, I explore lots of these limitations and. Although I think we've become aware of the limitations on memory, a lot of these limitations apply to a whole range of cognitive processes. They rely on perception. So just because you've actually seen something with your own eyes doesn't necessarily mean that it's reality. Most of the things that are going on in our environment, we're just simply unaware of. And as we're learning more about how the brain works, and I think magic provides us with some really amazing illustrations of just how powerful a lot of these illusions actually are we're learning that actually it's really our brain just making a lot of the stuff up um we trust our senses yet it's our mind that's really making up what we are perceiving and so i think we need to be more skeptical and much more careful really about how we interpret our own beliefs about what we've perceived, what we remember, and even maybe for the reasons why we've actually done something, because a lot of this is really just an illusion.
0: And it's our brains that are the ones that are really fooling us by filling in the gaps as it were.
1: Yeah, it's our brains. I mean we are our brains, so we are doing this. And and of course, I mean I don't want you to come away from this thinking oh well I've got all of these mistakes the reason why these illusions happen is because our brain uses very clever tricks or algorithms to solve very complex problems perception is incredibly difficult it requires vast amounts of cognitive resources and so Resources, they mean neurons. Those neurons need to be placed somewhere in our brain, and we've pretty much reached capacity in terms of how many neurons we can fit into our brain. And so the only alternative, really, is to grow huge heads. But evolutionally speaking, that's not a great strategy to go down. And so instead, the brain has gone down the strategy of developing clever tricks. And these tricks work really well because they allow us to do stuff incredibly efficiently. I mean, we can walk around our environment without bumping into things. We can drive, we can juggle, we can remember things really quickly. And the reason why we can do this is because our brain has developed clever tricks and shortcuts that allows us to do this efficiently. But of course, whenever you're relying on tricks, that can lead to errors. And these errors, most of the time you're not noticing the errors, but your brain is continuously deceiving you. And what magic really does is it points out the discrepancy between a reality and your own experience and i think this is why magic is such a powerful way of really highlighting a lot of the mind's limitations
0: it's a really interesting way i i I just find that fascinating the way how we're using magic to really understand better the, the limitations in our brain
1: yes because it because magicians have used this for so long and i think a lot of these principles it's quite hard to imagine them i mean i'm a visual scientist and i've studied vision for nearly 20 years now and yet it's still hard for me to fully grasp just how little we see and just how subjective my experience is. And I'm just as surprised by a lot of these illusions, even though I've studied these processes. And I think magic is a very powerful illustration of just how wrong a lot of these processes are.
0: It really brings this saying you won't believe your eyes um, to the fore, really, doesn't it?
1: You really shouldn't because <laughs> in, we, we shouldn't believe our eyes because what you're seeing is really what you're believing so it's the other way around it's these top-down processes that really influence what you're actually seeing
0: is that one of the reasons why we're so you know we get a thrill from from magic you know there's that as you say earlier there was the cognitive dissonance but um that um you know it, there's something in our brain that is saying this is interesting because it's different
1: i think so i mean i think there's a lot we only i mean I think what's important to note is that although magic has been around us for hundreds of years, we actually know very little about the psychological mechanisms that really underpin our experience of magic or the actual reasons why these illusions work. And I think a very interesting question is, well, why do we enjoy magic? Because it's a weird thing, because, of course, when you're watching a magic trick, you... You're being lied to all the time as a magician. I mean, when I'm performing, I lie to you. Yet we find it very pleasing. We enjoy the experiences. And I think there's several reasons why we enjoy it. One, we can think about in terms of very low-level cognitive mechanisms and that you're experiencing something that's impossible. You're experiencing something that is different as well. And we know from developmental psychology, even young infants, If you show them an event, that doesn't make sense to them. So if you show them an event in which an object disappears, infants spend much more time looking at that situation than than a situation that actually confirms with their beliefs. So this this is a standard task that is used really in developmental psychology. And what this tells us is that we are driven towards things that we don't understand yet. And there's an evolutionary advantage of doing so because if you're curious and attracted to things that you don't understand yet, well, that will encourage us to actually explore these situations, and it will encourage us to learn about new things. And so, I think there's an evolutionary drive, really, to be driven towards magic because magic is all about the impossible. So I think that's a very low, on a very low level. But I think there's lots of other. More higher level reasons as well. While we enjoyed, we enjoy the mystery. We enjoy, we enjoy exploring worlds where everything is possible. I mean, it connects us to our childhood. I mean, if I think about my adulthood, I mean, I've got three kids who love magic, and their fantasy and imagination is amazing. Where different in their play and uh, and the joy that they have about magic. And I think as we get older. Everything becomes much more restricted, and maybe magic really allows us, gives provides us a forum in which these different ideas and can be can be exploited and relived as well. And I think it connects us really with some of these childhood experiences.
0: Is there a reason I'm, I'm interested about the the, the the idea of the the childhood belief in magic? Is there a reason why you know as we grow older we change the way we believe in magic? So I know that when I was young I saw a magic trick and I was like that's amazing um and just took it as absolute fact but then i was a bit older Uh, i was a bit more skeptical about it but still took a great thrill in it is there a reason why that's happening
1: yeah i mean on one level you're of course you interpret things very differently as well so as you're learning more about the world you you understand you got a better understanding of how tricks work um so often it is actually a lot harder to fool an adult than it is a child. Or I mean, there's, there's big developmental differences there, really. But I'm not sure whether that enjoyment really fully disappears. I think it's just harder to find it. I mean, I remember there's a magician called Juan Tamares, who's one of the greatest magicians who's ever walked this planet. And um, quite often when I see magic tricks, because I perform magic and I know quite a lot about magic I can often work out how it's done, or sometimes magicians will trick me, but it's more like a puzzle. I uh, I can't necessarily work out how it's done, but I know that there's probably a way in which it could be done. However, with Juan Tamarez, I remember that moment really clearly where he came to our conference and he performed magic. That just completely astonished me. And it's not just that I didn't know how it was done. I genuinely felt like I was seeing real magic. Now, I know it's not real magic because he doesn't claim to be a real magician, but in my eyes, that was real. It was real magic. And it really connected me with a lot of these childhood emotions that I had where magic was real and was possible. And so I think, I think there's probably a part in our brain that Still experiences these emotions. It's harder for us to experience them as adults, but I think it's still there, and it may just take better magic, stronger magic to really elicit these emotional experiences.
0: And then verging on that, is there a point where magic will seem so so supernatural that you know our brains just can't can never work that out?
1: Well, yeah, I guess they probably do. I mean, I think again, that's hard for me to judge really as a magician, but but yeah, if you. I mean, the interesting thing will be how we experience that conflict. Like, is it can you have magic just too strong that people don't enjoy it anymore? I mean, as I say, the science of magic is very much in its infancy, and these are all really interesting questions that we'll hopefully explore in the near, in the near future as well.
2: That was Gustav Kuhn talking about the power of magic. His new book, *Experiencing the Impossible: The Science of Magic*, is available now. Thank you for listening to the Science Focus podcast. In the latest issue of BBC Science Focus magazine, we ask what if the Big Bang wasn't the beginning. We speak to Sir David Attenborough about his new TV show, and we explore how robots are being used to reveal how ancient animals moved. And as always, there is much, much more inside. And please don't forget to rate and review the episode wherever you download your podcasts.